Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the plague. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Good morning. It is Wednesday, July 1st, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined right now for the first time, I believe, by Jake Rowe, Georgia football beat writer for Dogs 24-7. Jake, how's it going, man? It's going great, man. You're right. It is it's definitely the first time. Glad to be on the show. I listen to it all the time. Oh, I appreciate that. I've had your cohort, Rusty Mansell, on a few times to talk about Trevor Lawrence and, and Justin Fields and, and how those two were connected in the class of 2018. And that's sort of why you're here. I was mapping out the, the uh, July 4th holiday weekend or week content plan. And I was thinking like, I need some interesting stories that I can pre-record and kind of throw up there. Uh, and, and they can be interesting to, to people because, you know, there's just not much news happening. And, and I kind of want to have a minute to recharge as I'm, as I'm sure you do yourself. And I re- remembered back to you and I spoke about a few months ago, this content piece you were doing, it was a story about Georgia's 2018 recruiting class. And that was their first number one class, uh, first of, of two and three years. And how there's been some significant attrition from that class. And yet, as they enter their third seasons on campus, which is, you know, when you really take the step or you, or you don't take the step and you maybe get classified as a bust, there's some potential for this class to still do a lot of damage and still maybe get Georgia back into the college football playoff and, and, and you know, the contention to, to win it all and at least the SEC. So I want to talk about that. And I was reading your story that you did do on it and I'll put it in the show notes. And I was reading your story to prepare. And, and this is pretty crazy, Jake, of the 12 highest rated players in the class. And those were all, all top 100 guys, five transferred out. And three of them were five stars and, and the, the five who transferred out and, and, you know, already were Justin Fields, quarterback, Cade Mays, the lineman, Brenton Cox, the defensive lineman, Luke Ford, the tight end and Otis Reese. And like, look, like just generally just introduce us to this, this thing where Georgia signs this number one class and it's supposed to sort of change the program. And then immediately almost there's significant attrition. Yeah, it's really odd because it's fascinating to me because you look at that and take any just about any garden variety recruiting class and you say, all right, you're going to lose three five stars from this recruiting class. It's going to, in a lot of ways, in terms of your top end talent, it's going to gut it for most for the most part. Well, Georgia's still left with uh, four guys left on campus. They still have more three star. I mean, sorry, more four star, five star prospects. I'll yep. get to it in a second. Than, than they lost, which is absurd. Uh, and that's according to the industry-generated 24-7 sports composite. So that, that, to me, was one of the first things that kind of really jumped out. I mean, yes, significant losses. I mean, Justin Fields, Heisman finalist, I, I got to pat myself on the back there because I said when, when he signed with Georgia, I said throughout his first year, I said when he left Georgia, I felt like he was going to be in New York one day for a Heisman. He didn't make me wait long to, to give me some confirmation on that. Uh, you know, obviously, Cade Mays is a big loss when you consider that he has basically been a two-year starter for Georgia. 
uh, uh, last year in, in 2018 because of injury, but 2019 because he kind of earned it and split time with Ben Cleveland at right guard and then, you know, sprayed around and played different spots. And then Brenton Cox never even got through preseason camp in his second year before he kind of transferred out and there were some differences there. You know, so losing those three guys is is big. Uh, you know, and Brenton Cox probably the least of of those concerns because Georgia is so stagnant outside linebacker. But then, you know, you're also looking at, you know, you're also looking at Luke Ford. I mean, Georgia had to go out and get Trey McKitty because they needed a tight end. And, and you know, because if Luke Ford sticks around, they probably don't go after Eli Wolf last year. They probably don't sign Trey McKitty this year. And then, uh, you know, Otis Reese going to an SEC school, going to Ole Miss. I mean, he was a guy that was expected to provide safety depth, maybe win a safety job this year. He was maybe in line to win a safety job last year before getting mono in preseason camp. Georgia lost five big time guys, but it's still a a very capable class. It's still a very good class with a lot of meat left on the bone in terms of how good these guys can be. And and some of them are just now getting an opportunity to step into feature roles in, in whether they play offense, defense, or 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 you know, our backups are in rotations. They're just now getting their opportunity. Yeah, and I do want to talk about the guys who are left because that's that is crazy. Four or five stars remain. And, and three transferred out. But with just circling back real quick to the guys who, who did leave, with the exception of Luke Ford, because Illinois is just not a, th- not a threat to Georgia on any sort of local or national level, like these guys went to, like Justin Fields goes to Ohio State, who could re- very reasonably be a playoff foe of, of Georgia. Cade Mace goes to Tennessee. Brandon Cox goes to Florida. Otis Reese goes to Ole Miss. Like, that's... That, that's got to kind of sting, and, and especially Mays and Cox going to SEC East Rivals and then drilling down further. I mean, the Cade Mays transfer, Jake, was just, just pretty ridiculous with, with, the, with the, the, the finger and, and all that stuff. And, I mean, I just – that, that of all these five, does that sting the most? Cade Mays going to Tennessee, or is it still Justin Fields because of the quarterback mismanagement? I feel like there's just so much to unpack here. Yeah, it's 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 got to be in the running between those two. Two, I think that after seeing what Fields did last year, you kind of got last year behind you. You mm-hmm. know, so all of a sudden you've kind of got this, and there's nothing you can do about any of it. So I don't want to sit here and say like, oh well, maybe Georgia can you know somehow magically you know sprinkle some dust on Cade Mays, get him back. And that's not going to happen. But so there's nothing you can do about any of it. But there's there's an acceptance that comes, I think with knowing that, all right, last year was last year. Justin Fields helped Ohio State get to the playoff. Justin Fields helped, uh, you know, made his way to New York for the Heisman. Uh, you know, so it, all of that's in the books. And I think they've had some time to, to get over that, some closure. George's got Jamie Newman, JT Daniels. Both of those guys, you know, are, are on campus now, and I think they're feeling pretty good about the quarterback position. You look at the offensive line, they lost two first-round guys to, at tackle, left tackle, right tackle, Andrew Thomas and Isaiah Wilson – to the NFL draft, and they're going to have to take one of the five stars from this class, who is the number 10 player in the country, and the number one offensive guard, Jamari Sawyer. He's probably going to be Georgia's left tackle. Uh, Cade Mays would have probably been Georgia's left tackle in this class, and they're going to have to start somebody brand new at right tackle uh, or, or left tackle, depending on where Sawyer plays, but more than likely left. So they're going to have to start somebody brand new because Mays left. So it's almost like the – it's almost kind of the 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 heartbreak du jour, so to speak, for this for this coming season because you know Mays did leave. Now we'll say that 
you know, Mays is a guy that I think was probably better fitted, suited to play on the inside. And, and I think they'll be able to absorb that loss a little bit easier than, than watching Justin Fields rip up college football like he did last year. But ultimately, you know, that's kind of the one that's fresh. That's kind of the one that's there. And, man, you hit the nail on the head about the, about the way he transferred out. A, it came as a surprise. B, I mean, his father getting his, you know, pinky finger severed in a little accident at school, them suing the school. I mean, wow. It was – that was – you know, it was, it was a crazy day. That was an absolute crazy day, one I don't know that I'll ever be able to replicate as a, as a sports writer. I'm going to have to put the Cade Mays dad finger story also in the show notes because, because people are going to be like, what are you guys talking about? Um, I, I promise that I promise Jake that we are going to talk about the guys here left, but I, I have one more question about the guys who, who uh, transferred out Justin Fields. All right. Uh, if he walks down the street in Athens, how, how is he perceived today? Is it kind of cool that a native son of Georgia who's you know got a cup of coffee with the Bulldogs is doing his thing? Or is this like total, total the one that got away? I mean, I think there, there's, there's still a lot of Justin Fields support in Athens. And I, and I think there should be. I, I don't think Justin Fields did Georgia wrong or anything like that. I, don't th- I also don't think Georgia did Justin Fields wrong. You know, it, ultimately, it was a situation where – where Justin Fields was a guy that had played, I think, maybe 20 games of quarterback in high school. He wasn't one of these lifers like you see a lot of these quarterbacks are that are that are training for the time they're 10, 11, 12 years old. Uh, he, he played other sports. He was a good baseball player. Uh, there was some inflated uh, discussion of him being a draft prospect. I saw him play in person. He's a good player, not a draft prospect in baseball, but still a good one. And, and somebody who had other interests and, and kind of grew into the quarterback position and worked into it. And that talent was obvious and, and he just wasn't ready in that first year. I mean, and, and I'll, and I say that having talked to a lot of different sources on this, like a lot of different people who were big Justin Fields fans who were wanting him to come back for his second year, but also had intimate knowledge of, of how things were going in practice and how, you know, much he would be up one day and down the next and how much he would struggle today and, and, and then light it up tomorrow. And, and I think Fromm was a little bit more of the steady guy there. And, and that's, that's understandable. I mean, you know, there's, there was this, you know, whole thing on, on the, in the Georgia circles about, well, he can't read a defense or he can't do this or he can't do that. None of that's true. That's, that's bogus. That's just as bogus as somebody saying that Georgia let Justin Fields walk. Neither one of those things happened. Justin Fields didn't see the opportunity as, as good at Georgia to, to jump Jake from and, and win the starting job. He saw a better opportunity at Ohio state and, and Trey probably an offense that fit him better. I mean, oh, Ryan yeah. day is a, is a genius. Ryan day's, I mean, he, he, he's going to do great things with quarterbacks like Justin Fields from now until the end of the time. He had just had a guy drafted in the first round in Dwayne Haskins who had made a big leap under him. So, you know, there was, that was also a really good fit. And then you saw Georgia went one and done with James Coley, offensive coordinator. How can, you, how can you possibly blame Justin Fields for making the moves that he did? And that's not me taking a shot at Kirby Smarter, James Coley or whatever, but – Ultimately, that those are the facts we're dealing with, and and you know I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but in hindsight it's hard to question what he did. And I don't think a lot of people would. I think a lot of people maybe they weren't rooting for him, maybe they were rooting against him. But I don't think they hate the guy. The College Football Daily will be right back. 
Who from this 2018 class do you think is about to make the jump to superstardom on a, on a national college football level? I, I, I think the obvious guys would be Zamir White, the running back. And, and I've always been a big Tyson Campbell guy, the cornerback who, I don't know, it seems like he's had a, a slow start, but is, is kind of starting to come around. Among the elite guys, you know, I think you hit on those two. Uh, Jamari Sawyer's in there. I would say Campbell because Campbell was was really getting going last year before he suffered a turf toe injury and kind of had to be sidelined for three or four or five weeks, and, and that kind of derailed his season a little bit. He came back strong, finished the season really well, but I really think Campbell's got a chance to be a star. I think Zamir White's got massive shoes to fill. He's about to take over for a, one of five running backs in school history to post more than one, one more than one one thousand yard season wise at Georgia. DeAndre Swift had two four digit uh, quadruple digit rushing seasons at Georgia. Could have had three if he wasn't sitting behind two other guys that are also on that list during his freshman year: Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. And you know, I think Zamir White can be as good as any running back Georgia's had in a while. I mean, he shows you a little Nick Chubb. He shows you a little Sony Michelle. But but ultimately, it's getting past a massive hurdle, and it's those those ACL injuries in both knees within a 10-month span from November of 2017 to uh, August of, uh, of 2018. So he's just got to get over that. One guy I will point out, though, that's not necessarily in the elite of the elite in this class, who I think is, is bound for big things, is Aziz Ojolari. He led Georgia in sacks last year with five and a half, six and a half tackles for a loss. Georgia rotates a lot of the outside linebacker position, and you see that by looking at Adam Anderson, who's also in that class, who's basically a role player. He's a five-star prospect, but he's also a big-time piece for Georgia in their dime defense. But Aziz Ojulari is the total package at that outside linebacker position. And I think when all is said and done, it, it wouldn't really shock me if he's the guy that maybe got drafted the highest and, and spent the longest in the NFL, made the most money, that type of thing. Wow. Uh, so this class signed in 2018, and that, that's the year, obviously, Kirby Smart's second following his second season and Georgia goes to the playoff beats Oklahoma in the Rose bowl comes within second and 26 of winning the national title. I always think that Georgia was ahead of schedule in year two. Like, would you agree with me? They go from Liberty bowl to college football playoff. And, and I like, I think we can establish that that's ahead of schedule. So yeah, yeah for sure. I, I'm not, I'm not in that camp that, there, man, I tell you what, and I look back on it, and it's one of the one of the weirdest dynamics I'd ever seen. Georgia's going into that national championship game, and you've got Georgia fans saying, "Hey, we're playing with house money." Yeah, I'm like, listen, you may be ahead of schedule, okay? I'll give you that. You're right. There's no such thing as playing with house money, and they've learned that in the last couple of years. They thought that that this thing was just going to keep rolling, and they were going to keep bouncing in, bouncing out, and and that's just not the way it rolls. So, yeah, I, I would definitely agree ahead of schedule it's a favorite college football cliche to look at a good team or a great team and go, and guess what? These guys are ahead of schedule and start projecting a few years out. It's, it's something that I think every fan base does. And if Georgia fans were doing that in 2018, after watching that heartbreaking loss, then they would have projected out more playoff appearances. And then instead it's been two sugar bowls. And, you know, it, it's now up to this class to, to, to get them back to the playoff. Uh, and I, and it feels like the, the windows open, but, but Jake, what is like, what's the current trajectory long-term? It looks really great. Like long-term this team is recruiting uh, Georgia just signed the number one class, but, but short-term as far as 2020 and then 2021, if we have the seasons, 
what's George's window? Is it open? Does it close? Is it going to open back up big time again? Yeah, I definitely think it's open. And I think it's open for a couple of reasons. One, the way George is set up defensively, and I know there's this offensive surge in college football. There's the, you know, I, I kind of want to call it the, the Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa effect because those guys, by laws, because they they just did such great things last year and then, you know, two of the year before. But but Georgia's defense is lights out. I mean, it's going to be better than it was last year because Georgia led the nation at 12.6 points per game allowed and one guy got drafted. And he got drafted the very final pick of the entire NFL draft. That was Tay Crowder. So they got everybody coming back. So they're going to be really good on defense you know, coming up. And, and, you know, I think the addition of Jamie Newman is significant. It, it's extremely significant. And then JT Daniels, too, because not only is, is there a, a dual threat uh, power running quarterback that, that has some experience and has a chance to play with some maybe more talent around him, but he's got another guy, another former five-star prospect, a guy that ended his freshman season and talking about JT Daniels here with with a flurry uh, with with two 300-yard games against UCLA and then a playoff uh, team in, in Notre Dame. You know, Georgia's got some talent at quarterback. They've, they've really stocked the cupboard at receiver, signing three top 100 guys in this past year's class and, and you know, kind of with George Pickens and Dominic Blaylock the year before. Uh, offensive line, Matt Luke has done a tremendous job recruiting that position. They're recruiting it again well in 2021. So I think that when you start looking at all those pieces and just kind of how Georgia's reloading on defense, I really think that Georgia's window is going to be open here for the next two or three years. It's just a matter of of whether or not they can, A, get get the right breaks, staying healthy, maybe eking out a game whenever, you know, that maybe winning a game like they lost against South Carolina uh, in 2019 and finding a way to come out on top in those games. And and honestly, special teams, because I, I don't bring this up very often, but Georgia lost Rodrigo Blankenship, and they've got to figure out a way to hit these big kicks coming up because Blankenship was was a guy that, you know, yeah, he missed some, but he also made some really long ones and some really tight games that kept Georgia in the, in the mix last year. What's the level of restlessness we're going to have on our hands if the next two seasons go by and Kirby Smart is unable to have any of these number one classes, and he's had two now, equal playoff berths? You know, I, I think there are some that are going to be restless. I think there are some that are going to start questioning uh, whether or not he has the chops as a head coach to get Georgia where they're going to go. But I think ultimately, as long as Georgia is continues to be as successful as it has, which is basically three straight 11-1 and one regular seasons and, and in, the, in the discussion year in and year out at the end of the year uh, – I think he's going to be safe. I think there's still going to be there's going to be some some whispers, maybe maybe even some kind of normal tone type conversations about, hey, is can Kirby do this? I mean, he he got real close in that first in that second year, but you know he hasn't really gotten there again, and he hasn't hasn't gotten him over the top. But I think ultimately everybody will still take on the mentality that hey, you keep beating on the door, and it'll eventually open. Well, this has been a really great window into Georgia football. This 2018 class has always fascinated me because it's, it was their first number one, and it was it was Justin Fields' class, and uh, uh, all these guys leave, and, and you're a little bit worried about that, but you still have – Georgia still has just so much on its roster and so much potential in 2020. Uh, Jake Rowe, thank you so much for joining us. You got it, man. Anytime. 
All right, that's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. If you appreciate what we're doing, we will take a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you check out Jake's work on dogs247.com. I will add his Twitter into the show notes as well. And we'll, we'll see you Thursday on the next edition of the College Football Daily. Mm-hmm.